All right, Romans chapter 8. If you have a Bible, Romans chapter 8, uh, that is where we will be. It is really important that you get out a Bible. So if you don't have a Bible, we want you to have one. You can have a written copy over there, uh, over on our Connect uh, in, our, in our Connect table, or you can have it on your phone. I would love for you to be uh, in Romans chapter 8. Uh, what I think to be the greatest, the greatest chapter in all of Scripture. Now, I, I, uh, so <clears throat> when my daughter was born, Reagan, uh, and we began to have conversations when she was really young, uh, when we put her to bed, we pray, and then uh, and Adrian and I kind of tell her, like, you are our favorite child. And you can tell, it, like, in the wheels of her head, because she's pretty smart, uh, the wheels of her head, she's thinking, I am the only child uh, that you have. Uh, and so we would always tell her, you're our favorite child. <clears throat> and, uh, and then, of course, comes Haddon, uh, you know, a little, little bit later. Uh, and, uh, and, and so that changed a little bit, because we we're just like, well, we can't say that to you anymore. Uh, and, and so we would say, you are our favorite daughter. And she'd love that, and she'd smile about it, and all sorts of stuff. And then I, I can tell, like, when she was about three years old when we had Leela, uh, that you could tell, like, she was wondering what we were going to say uh, about, about our favorites. And it, I, it was a little bit awkward. It was like, how are we going to tell you still that, uh, you know, you are a favorite of ours? And so when I say this phrase, Romans 8, I think, is the greatest chapter in all of Scripture, there's probably something in your brain or in your soul that says, how can he do that. He can't pick favorites in the Bible. Like all of it is great, right? Every part of the scripture is God-ordained, God-breathed, and good uh, good for us to intake. It's all part of the truth of God's word. So uh, how in the world can we play favorites? Uh, And so I want to read as we get started. And it's been an interesting evolution uh, throughout this entire series because because we're we're at this this series called The Great Eight. Now, it was only supposed to be four sermons, uh, and I was supposed to preach a good chunk of it today. And then we got into it, and early in this week, it it turned into about six sermons, and then by the time Thursday rolled around, uh, we decided to go ahead and make it nine sermons, okay, through uh, through an entire one chapter of Scripture. So uh, the goal is to really, uh, really dig in. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to read all of chapter eight, and I know that that's going to be long, okay, but I want you to follow through with me because there's so many pieces, as that small video just said, there's so many pieces to this one chapter of Scripture that really I mean, you've heard these verses, you've heard these phrases, you've heard preachers talk about these different things uh, that are a piece of uh, pieces of this very important piece of uh, scripture. So I'm going to read all of chapter eight, and I want you guys to follow along uh, with me. So this is Romans chapter eight, and we're going to start in verse one. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You 
however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Of, uh, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, Grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things worked together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those he for he. He foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he also, called, whom he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then sh- shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all? How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of who who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we, have be- we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, 
<clears throat> nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor, uh, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Great Eight. A phenomenal piece of scripture. God, we, uh, we explored a large text just now. And as the reading of your word comes, we recognize that the spirit is in its midst because as the word of God descends upon its people, fills our hearts because we know that that's your voice. And so God, as we just kind of parse out word for word this scripture, uh, a little bit at a time, God, I pray that in all things that our hearts would grow in our affections towards you that we would deeply understand your gospel. This is, Father, probably the deepest that our church has ever descended into the depths of your work. And so, God, I pray that you would um, be in our midst as, and give us understanding. Remember, the things that we don't understand, God, I pray that you would give us grace. Um, God, I love you, and I pray that um, you would empower me this morning. Um, and empower us to hear. We love you. Amen. Now, um, I want to, um, I'm going to do something really cool and technology-filled, and so my hope is uh, that it works. <laughs> um, <clears throat> if I can get it to work. Um, wow, okay, maybe. There we go. Maybe this will work. Can you guys see that? Awesome. All right. All right. So we're, we're going to walk through some scripture. And, and my hope is that you'd have your Bible in front of you because we're going to be walking through just piece by piece how this thing works. And here, I want to tell you a few reasons why I think it is the greatest chapter in scripture, what we just, uh, what we just read. Why I think it's the best. And if you're a note taker, you can take these things down. I think it's the best because this particular chapter of Scripture gives us the grand picture of the entire gospel inside of one chapter. The grand picture. I mean, it starts at human depravity. It walks through suffering. It walks through the good news of Christ. And it walks through how we're more than conquerors, that all things work together for the good of those who love God. I mean, it works through so many pieces of our faith. And it gives the big picture. It gets down into the details as well. Uh, and, and I love this scripture because it does that. It also gives us a very clear progression as we understand salvation. It tells us about our justification, which is a big word for a legal term, meaning that we're justified before God. And then it talks about our sanctification, this process of working towards becoming more Christ-like. And then it obviously talks about our glorification, our life in heaven after this life, what it looks like to live with Christ eternally. Also, it talks about the Trinity. It puts the Trinity on display the fact that our God is one in three different persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Up until this point in Romans chapter 1 through 7, it's, it mentions the, Paul mentions the Spirit five times. After this, he only mentions it three or four times. In this particular scripture verse, it mentions the Spirit 22 times. So it's going to talk about God's Holy Spirit. Obviously, it's going to talk about Christ Jesus and how God and how, how God works together in Holy Trinity with those three. So it puts the Trinity on display, probably better than any other chapter of Scripture outside of the narrative of Jesus' baptism. It's an incredible picture of the Trinity. 
it also displays answers to what I think are real struggles. It, Paul is going to talk about a very real struggle that he has. And it, it's a conflict that I think that all of us have. I think we're going to identify with Paul in this way. Um, and, and, and so we can really walk through with him what this conflict is going to show to us. So, um, so I want to dive into, uh, I want to dive into this scripture as, as best that I can. So let's start uh, real quick at Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 1 and 2. Okay, so read along with me. If you can't see, you can see up on the screen what I'm going to do. I'm going to kind of mark this thing up and it's going to be fun. And one of the reasons why I want to do this is because we like to soap through scripture. Now, our missional communities are done uh, for, for the summer. And so our huddles will continue. These groups that would that meet kind of on their own, one or two people walking through some scripture. And one of the things, if you're kind of outside of Cane Bay or you don't know what I'm talking about, one of the things that we ask people to do is soap through scripture. And that's an acronym for scripture, observation, application, and prayer. And when you gather together with somebody else to kind of walk through some scripture, the goal is to kind of really parse, really get into the words, figure out what the scripture verses mean. And so I want to show you actually practically what this might look like through Romans chapter 8, and then hopefully you'll be able to do this a little bit at home. Okay, so it says here, there is therefore... Now, right there, that therefore, I think that this is the greatest chapter of Scripture in all the Bible. I think that this therefore is the greatest therefore in the Scripture, okay? Uh, And here's the deal. Because he's at Romans chapter 8. Why didn't you start at Romans chapter 9? Or I'm sorry, Romans chapter 1? It's because Romans chapter 8 is awesome. Okay, so we're going to put the therefore is talking about everything else that he just said in all seven chapters. Thankfully, we just think that we're just going to go back a couple verses to get what he's talking about, okay? Because he's going to provide us the reason why he's writing chapter 8 in the next, in the, in the couple verses right, uh, right before this in chapter 7. Okay, so if you look back, chapter 7, uh, verse 22 through 25. Okay, let's read this real quick. So it says, this is Paul speaking, the Apostle Paul, and he says, For I delight, I delight in the, what he's going to call the law of God, the law of God, what God wants and desires for us. He delights in it and he does so how he does this in his inner being, his soul, his spirit, his mind. The Bible talks about how we should love the Lord of God, the Lord our God with all of our, with all of our mind, with all of our heart, with all of our soul. That's what he's talking about. I, I delight with the law of God in my inner being. But he's going to give this giant but right there. And he's going to say, but I see in my members, and he's talking about his physical body, his mind and his physical body, another law that is waging war. So this other law, so we have, I delight in the, this, this kind of idea, the law of God, what God wants me to do. I delight in that, but in my members, in my physical body, in my flesh, I am subject to another law that is waging war. Where? It's waging war against the law of my mind. Now, the law of my mind is this. The law of my mind is this. He's, he, he wants to. There's something in his brain, in his heart. That says, I want to do the will of God. I want to do the law of God. But it's waging war against this another law. And he says that it is... Ooh, that it is making me captive. Now that's a big word in your scripture. It's making me captive 
to the law of sin. And he's going to repeat this. So the, this other law is the law of sin that dwells, and he's going to say it again, in his members right here. He already says in the member, he's already said it. The members is his kind of physical body, his flesh. So we see the law of God that he desires with his mind, he wants to follow after, but then he also has this law of sin that he's struggling with within his flesh. So then he's going he's to say, he's going to basically yell at himself, wretched man that I am. He literally writes down his own, like his own insult to himself, wretched man that I am. And then he asks one of the most beautiful questions in all of scripture, who will deliver me from this body of death? Okay, this body of death, who will deliver me? Because I'm captive. I'm going to try to be delivered because I'm captive. I'm held hostage by my own flesh. And I'm in this huge conflict about what's happening. So, but here's, so he asks a question and he says, who will, who is going to deliver me from this body of death? And what, thankfully he asks a question, right? So this is a question that he's asking. He's going through this conflict. And then he says, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Now, if in his context, He's, he's talking to the Romans, right? Now, the Romans were a polytheistic society who had tons of other gods. And so this question of who is going to deliver me, this would have made sense to the Romans because they would have said, okay, we got to pick which god is going to deliver us. Is it going to be the sun god, the earth god, the fire god, the wind god? Which god is going to do this? And he says, thanks be to God, or in, 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 it's going to be Yahweh or Jehovah. And then he says, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He immediately answers his question, um, who is going to deliver him? So he knows in his mind, he already knows the answer to his great conflict. Now here's where he's going to attach himself to us right? This is where he's going to attach himself to us because he gets to the end of chapter seven. He set up this conflict and then he says, so then I myself, and here's two words, serve the law of God. Remember the law of God? He says, I myself want to serve the law of God with my mind, but, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. So here's the law of sin again. And there's the law of God again. It's come back up here. So he's, he's making this giant conflict. He's putting it together and saying, these two things are at war with one another. I want to do the right thing, but my body just keeps on sinning. Is that not the place that you and I struggle in life with? Christian, is it not the case that every single day we worry about the fact that I want to do what God wants me to do? I know the truths of God. I've been saved. I know, I'm, I know that I'm a Christian, but why do I keep on sinning? Why do I keep falling back into the same thing that I always have been falling back into? Why do I keep doing the same thing over and over again and then having to come back guilty back to God and asking for forgiveness? The good news for you and I is, is that Paul did that too. The Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, struggled with the same exact issue. And he even knows the answer. Who's going to deliver me? Oh, it's God through Jesus Christ, but I still struggle. So the question with this 
the question with this scripture that he wants to answer inside of Romans chapter 8, all of Romans chapter 8 hinges on this one question is this. How, well, do I live free? How do I live free? Free from this idea that I am captive and I'm serving. I'm going to serve something, but I'm captive. How do I live free? And that's all of chapter 8. That's the whole thing. And, I, and he's going to try to answer that question. Okay? So let's look now. We're going to finally turn into, uh, into Romans chapter 8. Let's see if I can get there. Is this working so far? You guys can see that? Okay, good. All right, so we're, we're, at, we're at Romans. Uh, we're at Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Okay, let's go. There is therefore, there's therefore, we just answered the therefore. How can I live free? That's what is, that he's asking. Okay, so he's going to try to figure this out. Now, there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What this means is when we consider how do we live free, we are, we, we are free from guilt. We are free from guilt. That is what the Apostle Paul is saying, that even when we sin, we are free from the guilt of sin. You see, too many of us, we walk around and we know, here's the deal, maybe you had some experience a long time ago, or maybe it was recently where you came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as your Savior, and therefore you came to a point in your life where you are justified before God. That is a legal term, a legal verdict, where God the judge decided that you were declared innocent because Jesus took your place. But here's the problem, is that many of us still struggle because we have this ongoing sin problem. And so we, we go back into condemnation. Imagine if, if, imagine if you were in a courtroom and you had done this horrendous crime. Imagine if you had murdered people or something like that. And you were a prisoner. And they, it, came to your court, it came to your court date. It was very, very quick. Are you guilty? Absolutely. And then what happens is Jesus comes and he stands in your place and he says, you know what? Judge, I'm going to stand in his place and I'm going to take the sentence. So they take off your handcuffs and you're sitting there staring as to what in the world just happened. I know that I murdered those people. I know that I sinned and did something evil. Yet there was this man who came and stood in my place and I am no longer condemned. Does that change the fact that I actually committed the crime? No, it doesn't. I'm just, I've lost the condemnation of it all. And we struggle. Now we're struggling not with condemnation at all, but in our future, we're struggling with the guilt of it now. So Paul is saying, no, there is no more guilt. You don't have to walk around with guilt 
on your conscience because Jesus has taken away your condemnation. You should have received hell, but you're going to receive heaven because there's no condemnation. How this really works is this. Imagine, imagine for a second is if you, um, you became justified and you're justified and you're, you're good with God, everything is good with God. And Jesus comes up to you and he says, uh, I'm going to give you a credit card. And here's your credit card, a little plastic thing. I'm going to hand it to you. Here's the deal. Every time that you sin, I need you to charge that against me. So every time you do something wrong, you can swipe the card. And all of that debt goes on to me. It doesn't go on to you. You don't have to serve the condemnation. You don't have to pay it back. That sin is completely given to me. I am the payer of your credit card bill. Now, all we have to do in that situation, this is how salvation works, all we have to do is accept that grace. We haven't done anything to merit it or earn it, but we're just taking it. And all of our condemnation goes onto that card. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, wouldn't, wouldn't we, like, abuse that? <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't you go on a spending spree of sin and do whatever the heck you wanted? Well, Scripture's pretty clear that those who desire to receive the grace of God in their life, that would be very hypocritical of them because people who desire to receive the grace of God have faith and they hunger for righteousness. Jesus said it himself. People are going to hunger for the righteousness of God. They desire not to sin. And this is Paul's conflict. He's saying, I desire in my mind not to sin. I don't want to, but I still do. And then he comes out with this amazing truth. There is now no condemnation and you're free from the guilt of sin. That doesn't mean that there's not going to be consequences. It doesn't mean that you're not going to get complaints. People are going to see stuff inside of your life. You can't just say, okay, I'm not, I'm not condemned. That's good and all for other people to see that you're not condemned. But at the same time, there's still going to be some consequences to your sin that God is going to allow you to walk through. There's going to be some accusations. The, 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 the devil is still going to accuse you of being evil and wrong. And he's going to cause you to feel this guilt, even though you're free from guilt. He's going to try to cause you to be guilty when you're not. And there's still going to be discipline inside of your life. Grace is not opposed, uh, to, it's not opposed to, um, what's, what's the word? I lost it. It's not, it's not opposed to effort, it's just opposed to earning. So our guilt died on the cross. So this is our identity. We see here in Christ, this is how this works in Christ. We're free from guilt. Now, here's the fun part where it gets even more fun. So that's our kind of legal justification. Let's work towards verse 2. It says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you, where is that word? Free. There it is. Has set you free in Jesus Christ from, from the law of sin and death. And you can see these things. The law actually goes together with this word. The sin goes together with this word. And death goes together 
with this word. So Paul, uh, Paul is making this big tra- transition between the law of the spirit of life versus the law of the sin of death. And so this is where we go from, now we're not only free from the guilt of sin, we're also free from the power of sin, okay? We're free from the power of sin. We're free from the power of sin. Now, here's the deal. This is a big realization for us that we're no longer a slave to sin, that sin has no power over me. Now, here's the deal. I think that most Christians, especially those in the South and the Bible Belt, we, we understand the fact that we've been justified before the Father. Like, that's okay. We're good with that. Like, we understand that, that our eternity is set. I'm, I'm good with God as far as eternity. However, we struggle in the day-to-day. We think that we have to continue to earn it. We think that we, ha- we, like, we still think that we're under the power of sin in our own life. And so we think that God has just kind of made us neutral, where, where like, we've, we're not condemned, and so we've just become neutral with God. But that's not the case at all. He says, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. That's not neutral. The Spirit has come into us through Jesus Christ. It has filled all of that vacuum. Now let's go back to the courtroom for just a second. The courtroom where we were shackled for a second and then we're no longer condemned. Jesus comes in and takes our place. He takes the penalty, making us free for all of eternity. And then here's the next part of the gospel, which is wonderful, that the, that the Bible gives to us. It's as if the judge... He sets you free, handcuffs are off, and he says, you're free to go. But one more thing. You are going to spend the rest of your eternity, and you're going to come. Actually, you have nowhere to live, and so uh, you're going to come and live at my house. This is the judge speaking. Who does that to a criminal? The judge reaches out his hand and says, you are going to come and live at my house. You're going to eat my food. You're going to be with me, and there's no more condemnation. Your condemnation has already, has already been spent. And the law of the spirit of death is now gone, and you're going to live in the law of the spirit of life. You're going to live in my house. Now, here is the problem, is that most of us, when, we, when we're dealing with our own sin and dealing with our own problems, whether it's lust and eating disorder, gossip, anger, whatever it might be, when the judge has said, you're free to go, there's no condemnation, and by the way, you can come and live at my house, eat my food, and have everything I have, most of us walk back into prison because it's the only thing that we know. It's the only thing that we're comfortable with. It's the old shoes that we want to put back on. It's, what I, it's where life is done. And so, and this is Paul's struggle in chapter seven. He's like, I, I don't, I keep on doing the things that I don't want to do as if we're walking back into prison when we're free to go. Most of us need to understand that the power of sin has no more power over you, but you can walk out. So some of you today, as Christians, and you're already a Christian justified, you need to walk out of prison Goodness gracious, you have the power now through the power of the Spirit to walk out of prison. Sin has no more power over you. It now has the power to do great things in your life. 
and the Spirit of God can continue to do, where, where things went wrong, you can now do great things and you can say no. And so many of us struggle with this. I just can't, I, I, I have this addiction, I have this affliction, I have this thing that I keep, on work, I, I keep on going back to and I can't get away from it. That's when we keep on walking back into prison. So there's a lot that Paul is going to explain inside of the next 39 verses. But he's always going to come back towards this chapter, one, or chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. All of this hinges on this idea that there's a conflict and then there is, there, there, uh, there is no condemnation and then we have this whole idea of the spirit of life. How does that work? And that's what this whole series is going to be about. Now, for if you're a Christian, I want you to think through this this week. Um, we don't have missional communities this, uh, during the summer, and so what I want you to think through is, in your quiet times, I want you to make some time uh, for Romans chapter 8. And you get, get a written copy of it. I know that a lot of you like to use your phones, but you can't write all over a written, uh, you know, a phone, okay? So uh, you, you can get an iPad, maybe you can do what I did, uh, but um, definitely get like a written copy, get a pen out, and just begin to mark up your Bible. It's okay, I promise, God allows it, okay? Uh, and just begin to mark it out, get a highlighter, get a pen, write notes in there, and begin to figure out how Paul is putting this whole thing together. Dissect some scripture, and then better yet, come to your huddle, come together with somebody else, a husband, a wife, a spouse, a friend, somebody uh, that you can walk with, and dissect that scripture together. It's so deep and so rich that I want us to see every piece of what God has for us, okay? So, my encouragement to you over the next couple of weeks, really dive into Romans chapter eight and work through it. Now, if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian in this room, let me tell you this. That whole courtroom scene that I just described, I told you that there's people in this room, a lot of them that have been saved through Jesus, that Jesus stood in their place. But you, you're still standing in condemnation. For you, Romans 8.1 has not happened yet. You are still standing underneath the wrath of God because of your sin and you haven't, been, you haven't had it taken care of by Jesus Christ. So my question is, are you a Christian? Do you have this idea of no guilt in your life or do you constantly walk through life with a ton of guilt on your shoulders? There is a way out of that. There is salvation in Christ that you can be justified in front of God so that yes, in this life, not just in the life of the future, you might be, a lot of Christians get this, it's not just about salvation in the future, it's about salvation now. You can live in freedom now. And so my hope is, is if you've never undergone that process of taking the condemnation away, my hope is, is that you will come and speak to me and we'll pray together. We can explain some more things about walking through the Christian life together. Uh, and you'll enjoy this series without condemnation and walk through life without condemnation. So let's pray together. Uh, and we've got a lot more uh, text to go through this chapter. And it's going to be fun. Father, thank you for um, how you've loved us so much that you've given to us. Uh, just the ability to see scripture and to kind of parse through it, walk through it word by word. And I, as it's, it's scriptures like this to help us understand that you have a big plan for the word of God. It's so much more than just kind of flying through some sentences. Um, 
that it is a beautiful design, what you have said in your scripture. And so God, I'm, I'm thankful for the words of the Apostle Paul that tell us that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. So God, I pray that that would be our identity. Um, thankful for the goodness of how you have um, set up for us truths to know, and I pray that you give us um, now truths to live out. Um, Father, you've, you, you have blessed our church so much, and you've, you've given us um, just a great day of learning about who you are. And God, I pray as we just kind of finish out today's service, our hearts and attention would be focused in on what you would have for us for the rest of the day. Jesus, we love you. Uh, Thank you for a good time in your scripture. Amen.